There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That wasn't just true in the Roman Empire of Paul's day. That's true today. There is only one way to be right with God Almighty, and it's through His Son who came to this earth, Jesus Christ. You must call on the name of the Lord. But how are you going to call on the name of the Lord if you haven't believed in Him? And how are you going to believe in Him if you haven't heard of Him? And how are you going to hear if someone doesn't tell you? And how are we going to send preachers and heralds and proclaimers out if we don't send them out? So you watch the order, and it's very logical and very clear, and it ought to grip our hearts. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Priority of Proclamation. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Turn to Romans 10. And our text this morning is Romans 10, 14 and 15. But I'm tempted to... uh, to read starting at verse 1. In fact, I'm tempted to read starting back at verse 1 of the whole book. You know, when you, if you're with me on Romans, the whole argument stays together. And each paragraph, each sentence has so much in it that it's taken us a long time. And there, it's right for us to pause and mull it over, but don't miss the context. And so I'm not going to uh, start back at verse 1 and read, but I do, I'll work my way back to verse 9. We've got to see that much. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. The Bible says that God created man in his own image, male and female. We are created in the image of God. And the book of Ecclesiastes says that he has set eternity in our hearts. We were not created to live this life for this life. We were not created to just live on a plane as if there's not eternal things. We were not made to be content to live for mere comfort or temporal things or temporary things. And even the unsaved know this. And you watch and people become bored with trying to live that way. And so they seek a cause greater than themselves. They'll seek and struggle with, what what am I here for? What should I live for? 
try to find themselves and often try to find a cause and usually are bitterly disappointed and uh, discouraged when they find out that that cause doesn't fulfill. Because unless it's the cause, uh, it won't. Even though people all around us with the affluence and prosperity that we have are seeking to find something to live for, and in one sense it might be good to live for a better cause than just your own comfort, your own selfish desires, yet if you don't find the cause, it's empty. There's only one really who hasn't struggled with this. The one who said, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Even when he was young, at the age of 12, he said to his folks, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? You'd find me in my father's house. He had a sense of mission from the time he got here, and he knew what he was here for and what he was to accomplish. And everyone who comes to know Jesus Christ is called to live for the same purpose he lived, to the glory of God the Father. We're called to live for that which lasts for eternity. We're called to follow Him. That's what He said constantly. In fact, He said, the first page of the book of Mark, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's talking to some fishermen. And He said, you know, there's so much more to life than just your occupation. There is so much more to life than just making a living. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You see, He's the one who said... God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. Think about it, Christian. And I'm speaking primarily this morning to Christians, and I hope you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't, listen in. This text, this whole Romans 10, is an excellent place to understand what it means to know Him and to call on the name of the Lord. But I'm looking at it from a the perspective of those who've heard the book of Romans. And, you know, Paul, as he, uh, he was gripped by this very thing. And that's one reason why we like to look at his life. Turn back to the first verse of Romans. Turn back to the very first verse. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. The apostle, that word means sent one. Very Clearly, called as a sent one, set apart for the gospel of God. He was called to be sent, and he was set apart for the gospel of God. The good news, the glad tidings, if you will, that he was called to announce and to proclaim and explain and lay out in all its beauty, and he takes the first eight chapters of Romans and does just that. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, I'm eager to proclaim the gospel. You remember that in the first chapter? He said, in fact, I'm under obligation to proclaim the gospel to Jews, to Greeks, to the wise, to the foolish, everybody. I'm under obligation, I'm eager, and I am not ashamed because it's the power of God for salvation. The one thing people today in the 21st century need is Jesus Christ. People all around us are lost. They need salvation. The world is out there. And God, Jesus said, I wasn't sent to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. He came as the Savior 
of the world, he's called in John 4. And Paul does all he can to systematically explain this, and then he gets, after he's explained it all, he comes back to his burden for Israel in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And that's what he said at the very beginning. You know, Paul was a Jew. His Savior was a Jew. He'd been hardened in his unbelief, and God had to wake him up and literally meet him on the road to Damascus because he said, I'm taking this gospel. It's the, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And though he was commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles, he never lost his heart for the Jews. And so we've seen his heart for Israel and his explanation of God's sovereign, gracious purposes, not only for the whole race, but for Israel, his people within the race. And so you come to chapter 10, and you have his heart for Israel, and you have him explaining the simple gospel for all. God, verse 12, abounds in riches for all who call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel is free. It cost God everything. The gospel is universal. It's whoever will call on his name. But we left off by realizing that it's not only free and universal, but it's and for whoever will call upon his name, but no one will be saved who does not call on his name. You see, this verse 13, where we left off, look at it. Verse 13 is not only saying that the gospel, uh, this calling on the name of the Lord is necessary, but he goes right on and says it doesn't happen. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. And he raises four tremendously significant questions. How then shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, when he raises these questions, he's not merely fishing around looking for a cause. He's been gripped by the cause. And it seems to me you can't read this as a Christian without realizing the cause you're to live for. What we've been called to. How? Are they going to call upon him whom they haven't heard of? How are they going to hear of him if we don't tell them? And he raises these questions, and it pierces our hearts as to what we're to be up to. Now notice the simple, logical, and clear order of verse 14 and 15. God has provided a Savior. He's provided salvation. How are we going to call on him... And you can't be saved if you don't. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That wasn't just true in the Roman Empire of Paul's day. That's true today. There is only one way to be right with God Almighty, and it's through His Son who came to this earth, Jesus Christ. You must call on the name of the Lord. But how are you going to call on the name of the Lord if you haven't believed in Him? And how are you going to believe in Him if you haven't heard of Him? And how are you going to hear if someone doesn't tell you? 
And how are we going to send preachers and heralds and proclaimers out if we don't send them out? So you watch the order, and it's very logical and very clear, and it ought to grip our hearts. And notice, look at verse 14 and 15. He uses, uh, he works backward. From salvation, calling on the name of the Lord, he works backward to the commissioning and the send. In our experience, it's the other way around. First we hear, then we believe, and we are saved. That's what it says in Ephesians. He says, uh, in him you also, after listening, after hearing the message of truth, the good news of your salvation, having also believed, you were saved. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So in our experience, we look at it as, as hearing believing and being saved. But Paul comes at it from the opposite direction here. He says, how are people going to be saved if they don't call on the name of the Lord? How are they going to call on him in whom they haven't believed? And how will they believe in him whom they haven't heard? And he works that direction to get our hearts uh, involved in our part in this. Now, look at verse 14, and let's just let these questions sink in. And my prayer is that These questions won't be something I'm asking you, but that God would be asking us and that this would really get our hearts as individuals and as a congregation because uh, it's integral to what God is doing today. Oh, God is sovereign and we rejoice in the great truth that we can see his eternal purpose and we can be resting in that. But we are part of that eternal purpose. And the one who ordains things ordains the means. And he has ordained that we are part of his eternal purposes. And he leaves these questions here for a reason. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? The idea here is content. You see, to call on the name of the Lord... You must believe in Him. You must know who He is. You must have believed something. It isn't to just use His name like a religious mantra of some sort. No. To call on Him is to believe in Him. You can't call upon His name if you haven't believed. Oh, I know you can invoke His name in a ritualistic way. You can say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Or in an emotional way, people can say, Jesus is great. And they can say things about Jesus on all ends of the human spectrum, personality spectrum, you might say. And and they can even build camps. You know, we can have our own little camp of Christianity that just kind of calls on his name but doesn't really know him. But the biblical calling upon his name is to believe in him, is to know who he is. It's to know what he did. That's why you can't, te- you can't tear this text out of context. He said, you've got to believe in your heart. And you've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Who is he? He's the Lord of the universe. What did he do? He died and he rose again on your behalf. And some of you still remember recently coming to that knowledge. And some of you look back decades and still remember the joy of understanding that God became man and laid his life down for you and rose again on your behalf 
And the Christian never gets over this. But you don't just call on his name without knowing who he is and what he's done for you. So mark it down. To call upon the name of the Lord is to believe in him. And it isn't merely to use his name in a religious way or even a casual way. It's to call out to him in faith and trust and reliance. It involves understanding and trusting him. And this saving faith cannot happen without first... Notice the next question, hearing. How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus was constantly saying. In fact, it's interesting that that which he said quite often when he was here, the last book in the Bible repeats eight times. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. My sheep, he said in John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason... You do not hear them because you are not of God, he told the unbelieving Jews in John chapter 8. And so the message constantly goes out from the day Jesus spoke until today and until he comes back today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. But Paul's thought here is more than that. He's saying, how can they believe if they haven't heard? And in one sense, he's speaking the way the Bible uses that term. You have to really hear it. You have to grasp the gospel. But in another sense, he's saying, how can they believe if they haven't heard? People haven't heard. And that's true today. Millions of people haven't heard the simple gospel. And we've been commissioned to tell them the gospel. And that's true here, and it's true around the world. Uh, If you've done any uh, amount of talking to people, about Jesus Christ. It might shock you, particularly if you've been a Christian for some time. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home. Maybe you've always been around the gospel, and you've assumed that people have heard in America, people have heard in Portland, and they've just rejected the gospel. They've, After all, it's on the radio, it's on television, it's in books, it's in churches here and there and everywhere, and and people have heard they just have rejected it. And then you start talking to people, and you realize that many people have successfully avoided the gospel. They've never heard it. And you've had the joy, perhaps, of meeting some people right here in this area who, when you explain the gospel, when you proclaim the gospel, they hear it for the first time, and they're ready to hear it. Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields that they're white for harvest. But if that is true here, where all these means have been with us for couple of centuries, huh? If that's true here, in fact, since the first pilgrims came to this continent, how much more true is it around the world that there are millions who haven't heard? How are they going to believe if they haven't heard, he says? And then he moves right into the commission to go tell them. But you see, 
People haven't heard. And the message, you say, well, it's been broadcast on the radio. Yes, and we, we rejoice in all the different methods the gospel goes out. And I love to think of the missionary broadcasts that are going out and proclaiming the gospel around the world. And it's a thrill to know of the Bible societies that are proclaiming the word of God and distributing the word of God. And we rejoice. In fact, I was reading the missionary update this morning and rejoicing that the gospel, the whole New Testament, has been translated into yet another tongue. And it is exciting to see these things. But that's not all that needs to be done. And many people still need to hear. And, you know, there's that process. You have some who have heard to some extent, like the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's even reading the book of Isaiah. He's even reading one of the best portions of Isaiah we saw in Acts 8. Isaiah 53. But when Philip comes up to him, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, what? How could I unless somebody guides me, explains it to me? And so Philip, beginning with that scripture, proclaimed Jesus to him and had the privilege of bringing him to salvation in Jesus Christ. And he wanted to call on the name of the Lord right there and did. And he was saved. What a joy to be involved in that when some have heard. And then later, Paul, over in Acts 17, he gets to Athens and he says, you're worshiping that which you don't know, an unknown God. The one you don't know, I'm going to proclaim him to you. And he proclaimed Jesus to those who'd never heard. It's a strange deity you're bringing to our ears. And Paul had a passion to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to any and all. Because until people hear, they can't believe. Until they believe, they can't call on the name of the Lord. And if you don't call on the name of the Lord... You're not going to be saved. How will they hear? He moves on. Look at the next question. Without a preacher. Now, I used to just kind of cringe when I read that word because to me, in fact, I didn't like to be called a preacher. To me, that word kind of meant, you know, it was a stereotype of somebody probably like me, dressed up in a pulpit, you know, preaching to religious folk. But uh, I've lost that stigma because I see how dear to God's heart this is. But if you still have that stereotype, let me tell you here, the word is proclaimer. It isn't necessarily a picture of what's going on right here on the Lord's day at all. It's not a picture of us getting together and studying the word of God. It's a picture Long before they had television, long before they had radio, newspapers, telegraphs, you, you know, you go back in Paul's day and the way good news or bad news got out was the old-fashioned way. Runners would come over the hillside and bring it to town and then the town herald would proclaim the good or bad news. And no wonder the scripture says how beautiful it is when they bring good news. been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Priority of Proclamation, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. And no wonder the scripture says how beautiful it is when they bring good news. The feet of those who come over the hillside and run the message down of what happened in the battle or what happened, you know, period, just news. Now, we have the good news and we are to be heralds of not just the good news, the good news. We are to proclaim the word, and it's rightfully pro, uh, translated, proclaim, announce, preach, and we're to do that. How are they going to hear if we don't proclaim? We must proclaim, and it involves public proclamation, and it also involves private proclamation. Not in the sense of in a corner, but just simply telling people the good news. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott begins part two of the message titled, The Priority of Proclamation. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 